Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Good evening to each and every one of you to My Therapist Says, and thanks for being in the auditorium, our sanctuary tonight. Some of you may have gone upstairs and found out that we are down here, and we're now meeting here, and it's thrilling to be back here. We started here, and in some ways, we've outgrown the upper area, and yet there is a young adult event that's taking place that initiated uh, the switch, but I'm so glad to be here. I'm Pastor Don Welch, the counseling pastor here at Skyline Church. Tonight's topic is a dynamic topic. When you think about dealing with controlling people, I don't need a raise of hand or hands because I know that every one of us has dealt with someone like that, dealt uh, with someone that has functioned that way. Or you got up this morning, you looked in the mirror and you realized, I'm going to this seminar tonight about controlling people. Is that about me? No, you didn't do that. I'm sure you didn't. But we're so glad you're here this evening. And want to welcome you uh, to this evening's uh, My Therapist Says. We are at about 36 sessions. We've been doing this now for about three years. I know of no other venue where you have four uh, therapists who almost serve as being in your living room because we do an interactive style where you fill out a 3 by 5 card. If you have that, would you hold that up real quickly, your 3 by 5 card? Thank you. You can write a question anytime, beginning right now. You can write a question. Once you write it down about uh, something, it may be a relationship or just a question you have about controlling people, not about yourself, but other people who are controlling, just raise that in the, in the air and we will pick that up and they will bring that directly to me for uh, hopefully my opportunity to read that out loud and we can discuss that then as a group this evening. We will have microphones available, so if you at some point would like to interact by voicing a concept or idea or even another question, feel free to raise your hand at any time without the 3 by 5 card and we will come by and hand you a microphone. This is, this is taped, so actually the entire discussion will be downloaded uh, within usually two days, downloaded on our website, that's skylinechurch.org. If you look under the health area, you'll find the counseling area and you'll be able to click on both the PowerPoint as well as the audio. So if you have someone else that would like to listen to it or listen again, you're most welcome uh, to do so. This ministry began out of Skyline and it's a ministry that, that focuses uh, on working with relationships. We are in a series focused on couples and marriages and tonight is a little broader than that as you can tell by the topic. Um, this began with marriage savers within Skyline Church and then the therapists have come from a variety of sources, some right in our own congregation, many from family consultation services. I participate in that group as well as the Center for Enriching Relationships. So we're glad you're here this evening. We've always quoted, typically we have John 10.10 10 that talks about relationships that are so important. If you think about Jesus went to the cross, I was reminded this last weekend, he went to the cross to reconcile relationship. 
So we could be doing nothing more important than what we're doing here tonight. And in John 10.10, it says that the devil wants to come and kill, steal, and destroy relationship. And Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Healthy relationships bring life. In fact, longitudinal studies have shown us that healthy relationships elongate your life. It makes it longer and more fruitful and more enjoyable. So welcome tonight. I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then I would like to go right into our introduction and also introduce uh, our presenter for this evening. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for this great evening and the beauty of uh, San Diego and the surroundings that we enjoy on a daily basis. Thank you for healthy relationship. And we pray tonight, I, I know without a doubt as this group has met here tonight and when we leave here tonight, we will have sensed your presence. We pray for your presence in these moments. You make all the difference and you make life enjoyable and you give us enriched hope and a future because of what you accomplished on the cross once and for all. So we thank you for that this evening. Bless this time, guide us in all that we do and discuss this evening that it would bring glory to you. And may it just be possible that as you meet individually with us through the power and efficacy of the Holy Spirit, that you would speak truth into each of our lives. There are some having come here tonight that are looking for an answer to a very, very challenging relationship. Thank you that you have that answer. And we thank you for your presence this evening. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm always very proud to introduce um, our therapist that uh, join us uh, during these, these series and these sessions, and I would like to introduce them. I give a little more uh, longer uh, background of each of them so that you can become acquainted with them. They're actually serving here tonight without any pay uh, other than coming and serving, hoping to be of help to others. Uh, most of them are making about 140 an hour, and they're coming here just giving of their time, and so we have really an expert panel. Again, I know of no other venue that does what we are doing here in bringing together experts on relationship and that you're able to dialogue back and forth with them for almost an hour, usually is what we have. What we have. So if I may just introduce Erica Garcia, who has been with us before. Many of you have come up to me personally and shared how much you've appreciated her being part of the panel in, in the past. She is our presenter tonight. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist at Family Consultation Services. And she says this in her website, and I quote her, I have been working in counseling for the past 12 years, during which I've earned my MA in counseling psychology and my license as a marriage and family therapist in the state of California. These 12 years of experience have also allowed me to work with people of different ages, cultures, and psychosocial backgrounds. Her husband uh, is a pastor, and so they both serve in ministry on a week-to-week -week basis, as well as your psychotherapy work. So we welcome you, Erica. Dr. Marcio Falana is not new to us at all, and we're so thankful that he's a part of us this evening once again. And so many of you have appreciated over these past two and a half years that he's really served with us. Uh, his biblical ability to integrate the biblical concepts with uh, psychotherapy concepts. So I deeply appreciate that as well. Dr. Marcial Falan is the pastor of Family Ministries at Shadow Mountain Community Church. And we thank him for being here. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist as well as an ordained minister. In addition, Dr. Falan helped to create what was called the San Diego Healthy Marriage Coalition, 
which led to the creation of the Center for Enriching Relationships, which is a ministry for strengthening relationships within the local church. The center is located at Family Consultation Services, San Diego's first and oldest Christian counseling center serving the San Diego County with now 10 offices. So thank you for being here, Dr. Marcel Fallon, my dear brother. Krista Falk, we're so, Falk, we're so glad to have Krista with us and having joined us, I'm actually pleased to say that I'm a colleague with her. She is a licensed uh, clinical social worker, has served in uh, hospital settings, one recently for a number of years, and really appreciates uh, the ability now to really express your biblical standing and truths along with uh, psychotherapy concepts. And she is a psychotherapist, again, received her Bachelor of Arts in Psychology at Biola University, related coursework, and a minor in Sociology, and a minor in Bible. Her Master of Social Work was completed at San Diego State University, and she also quotes on her website a few words here, and I'd like to read them if I may. Living in the world, living in this world rather, can be overwhelming, exhausting, and just plain discouraging. Often difficult circumstances plague our experiences down here as we attempt to live in this sinful, fallen world. It is comforting to know we have a constant companion in Jesus while we face very real challenges that exist in this world. And then she quotes from John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, unquote. So thank you, Krista, for being with us uh, this evening. Um, many of these uh, therapists here have young children <laughs> that... Uh, Hopefully your spouses are taken care of tonight, but that, um, that uh, give a lot of time to their own family. So uh, thank you for being here without your children, of course, tonight. Um, I would like to uh, introduce Vicki Kim, and I'm so glad that you're here as well. She is a registered marriage and family therapist intern at the Center for Enriching Relationships, and she earned her Bachelor of Science in Public Health from John Hopkins University in Baltimore. And then she also earned her MA in Marriage and Family Therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary. Many of you know that's located here in California, Pasadena, California. And as a pastor's wife, she says this in, on her website, As a pastor's wife, I am profoundly aware of the struggle to live out our faith in real life situations. As a person seeking counseling, you may be wondering why you, quote, do what you do not want to do and don't do what you do want to do, unquote. Often, even the, the best of intentions cave under the anxieties and pressures of life, leaving us feeling the guilt and despair of not being able to live up to our expectations. The good news is you're not alone. She went on to say this, that you can find this on her website, my goal in therapy is for you to feel empowered and to approach your own life with confidence and joyous expectation as you experience healing and closeness in your relationships with others. I appreciate uh, actually Vicki's very meticulous in everything that she does and I've experienced that working alongside of her. So thank you for being here, each and every one of you uh, this evening. I just want to mention that if you're needing a therapist, these individuals, one of the hopes of enticing people to come and join us and help us is that perhaps it would be a referral base for them. Many of you know that referral base for most therapists, it comes through people they know or where they speak. That's typically what happens. And so I just want to let you know, they'll be in the back right after this session if you would like to talk with one of them uh, and maybe talk about potential therapy for, for you or a loved one or your family. 
So without, with that as an introduction, I'd like to turn this over to Erica as she uh, shares with us. There will be PowerPoint, and you do have a handout that is right in front of you, I believe. Good evening to everybody. Oh, my goodness. Um, I feel like I'm talking really, really loud. Um, I'm thankful to be here tonight. Thank you so much for inviting me to share with you once again. And now you guys are going to have to put up with me even a little longer. So sorry about that. Um, I have to make an announcement, and that is if there is an earthquake happening, you guys are obligated to stay sitting right where you are and listen to me, okay? <laughs> We're dealing with controlling people, so <laughs> just kidding. Okay. Uh, we're going to go through our um, first slide, and it's uh, how to deal with controlling people. And um, I know that you guys have them in your legs, like I have mine on my legs because I'm farsighted, and there's no way I'm going to read what's in there. So um, I'm going to go through what I have here, and we're going to see how to know if I'm controlling. Um, my husband usually says that it's easy for us to point the finger at someone else, but three fingers are pointing at us, right? So let's see how to find out if you're a controlling person. You are a controlling person if your wife addresses you as, yes, sir. <laughs> Telemarketers hang up on you. Someone keeps sending, you, sending in your obituary to the newspaper. <laughs> you find that you were the center of attentions at parties you were not invited to. <laughs> And your ego wakes up before you do and has the coffee ready. <laughs> then you know you're a controlling person, right? Okay. No, just on the serious side, though. Why do people control others? Let's find out why do people control others. There are many reasons why people control others. And I have to say that we all have um, some being controlling on ourselves, right? Human beings like to control. We like to control. They say women like to control, but I don't think that that's just too far away from men. I think everybody has a way or a situation that they like to control. Now, where did that come from? That comes from, um, from different situations or different um, characteristics. One of them is um, if I control others, then I feel maybe that I've, I'm in control, you know, that I have control of myself. Um, you know, I have control of my own life when others obey me. That's one possibility. The other possibility is low self-esteem. Uh, many of us grew up in, in um, dysfunctional families, and as part of that, we ended up on having low self-esteem. And because of that, we might need to control certain areas and not allow others to control us, right? And so our, by, by having low self-esteem, sometimes we need to just show that we are it. We're in control. We're the ones in charge. And that what really that reflects on is saying, you know what? You don't feel so well about yourself, so you have to show up like the strongest one. Um, also, fear and anxiety, and that's a big one for me. I always talk about fear and anxiety. I love talking about fear and anxiety, and that's because I have a master's in fear and anxiety, so I know about that a little bit. Not from my master's, just from <laughs> situations <laughs> in my life. And um, what is interesting is that fear is the opposite of what? Do you guys know? Faith. Faith. Fear is contrary to faith. If I have faith, I have no fear. Right? And faith in whom? Who do we put our faith on? Hopefully in Jesus. That's the hope. Um, so people control sometimes out of fear and anxiety. They're afraid of many 
different situations. They're afraid you're going to leave them. They're afraid you're not going to love them anymore. They're afraid that they're not, you know, that um, you're not important to them. Uh, many different uh, reasons for that. And the other cause for that could be a personality disorder. Um, there are different kinds and types of personality disorders. I can give you an example. is borderline personality disorder or histrionic personality disorder or dependent personality disorder. And there are many other personality disorders. And for that, um, I guess therapy is recommended. And um, you know, if you know someone or you are someone who thinks have a personality disorder, then talk to any one of us and hopefully we'll can provide some help. Now, ways people use to control others. So let's find out a little bit about this. What are ways that people use to control other people? One way is instilling fear. Um, and the example here is the parent yelling at the child. Mm. And it's kind of interesting because as parents, when we start yelling, we think we're gaining control, but the reality is we have lost control. Have you thought about that one? You think you are gaining control, but you actually, at that point, when you start yelling, you have already lost the control. But we yell to get their attention. We yell to say, hey, I'm here. I'm your father. Just listen to me. Da, 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 da. And that's really not helpful to children. Um, actually, I was taught that children listen to you more if you speak to them in a soft voice. If you want them to pay attention to you, lower your voice. Obviously, not if you have a group of 50 children, but... If you're in one-on-one, -on -one, lower your voice and say, hey, listen to what I'm saying to you. And right away, they'll stop and try to catch up what is it that you're saying. Um, also, um, people control others through sympathy. Um, they manipulate through feelings. So this would be the case where the child appeals to you. Mom, Dad, please do this for me. I feel so terrible if I don't you know, get this or whatever. And there is manipulation through the feelings. So um, that's another way. Guilt uh, would be pulling guilt trips on others so they do what you want, you know. So sometimes it happens with mothers and their children, uh, their married children. <laughs> so it would be the mother-in-law putting guilt trips on, <laughs> on the son so um, that he can give her attention or something like that because maybe he has decided he wants to go to a movie with his wife and she feels that, you know what, if you don't come to the house right now, maybe I'm going to die, you know. So <laughs> guilt trips. <laughs> Um, using reverse psychology, I have a good example about this because I try this with my son sometimes to control him. <laughs> and he's very good now. It's son of a therapist now. He figured it out. So he's like, oh, no, mom, I know what you're doing now. It's not going to work. But many times I would say, okay, um, you know, don't clean up your socks. You don't have to clean them up at all. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pick them up. And there he goes and picks them up. And then he's like, oh, no, you did it again. But you're controlling. I'm controlling my child when I'm doing that, right? I'm using reverse psychology on him. And then he goes. And that's what I wanted him and expected him, what I told him not to do, right? And then appealing to their ego. Oh, do we fall on this? All oh, us, even Christians, fall on that. Oh, you're so wonderful. You're so marvelous. You're the best person I've ever seen. Da, 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 da. Can you do this for me? Well, you feel bad now saying no because you're so wonderful and marvelous and everything else, right? So um, those are ways that we use to control others. Now, what to do if control is a problem? First of all, you got to recognize how your behavior might be enabling the controlling person. So and in other words, if I say yes all the time to a controlling person, what's going to happen? That person is going to keep on controlling. If controlling works, if that person is controlling me and what he's doing or she's doing to control me works, why not keep doing it? 
you would do it too, right? So we have to recognize what behavior of mine is allowing that person to be controlling. Uh, it could be a boss that's constantly giving you overtime and overwork, and you keep on saying yes. You don't ever say, no, I can't. I have a family, or I have something else I need to do, or it's out of my time. And so just saying yes to that person constantly is going to allow him to keep doing the same situation. Um, the second um, thing that we can do is negotiate boundaries. So obviously that if you're dealing with a controlling person, it's important to have communication. And it's important to um, negotiate boundaries with that person. Say, you know, yes, I'll do this, but I'll do it under these terms, maybe. Um, ask yourself, what is the cost to be in this relationship? Decide if it's worth it. Uh, sometimes people stay in relationships for a long, long time, and they're being hurt or they're being controlled, and they keep in there. And the result of that is hurt and pain and sorrow and so on and so forth. Um, I had a relationship with a friend once, and this person turned out to be one of those controlling people. But initially, I couldn't see it. Initially, in the relationship, I couldn't see it. After a while, after a while of being in the relationship, then the person became apologetic. So that was her way to control, being apologetic to me. And then afterwards, she became really aggressive. And so um, at some point in the relationship, I had to take the decision and say, this is not healthy for me. I love her as a sister in Christ. I still run into her in different places, but I have taken the decision that this relationship it's not something that's healthy for me. So I'm going to go ahead and make the decision to retrieve, move back, and just live in God's hands um, for God to, to change her. Um, also, agree to disagree. That's a good one for marriages. It's a good one on communication, and it's a good one when you're dealing with controlling people. Um, talk to that person and let them know that you don't agree with them, but you agree to disagree with them and see what happens. And then refuse to participate when you feel controlled. So it's basic. Um, I want you to do something for a second. Um, can you turn to a partner or a person that you have on your side and just put your hands, sorry, I'm going to have to do this, like this, towards each other. And I'm going to have you do an exercise here. Yeah, not that one, but almost. <laughs> what you're going to do, your goal is to push the other person so you can win. And the other person, your goal is to push the other person. So when I say three, just start exercising pressure, OK? One, two, three, and start pushing. <laughs> Come on, but show me like you really ate dinner or something. <laughs> You guys are too nice there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Eventually what happened here is you guys, one of you retrieved, right? Did you notice that one of, one of you went away? One of you moved. That's exactly what happens when there is a relationship of, of power and control. When you have two people pushing on each other, there is always going to be that battle there. When one of them retrieves, this one doesn't have someone to fight with. So sometimes in controlling relationships, it's important to back up, back out, okay? Retrieve. Um, refuse to participate if you're being controlled. Okay. What else to do? 
establish teamwork. Um, sometimes it might, this might take, depending on the relationship you have and depending on how aware the person is about their control issues, it might take some education and, and teaching this person to be a team worker, a team, a team player, right? Um, some of us grew up maybe being only children and we just learned that everything is for us. Or maybe, you know, I don't know, there could be different situations in life that can cause you not to be a team player. So maybe talking to the person and saying, hey, I feel maybe that you, can, you or I or we could work on this area of team, team playing, being a team player, becoming a team uh, might be a good thing. Also, be assertive. Assertiveness is standing up for your right to be treated fairly. It is expressing your opinions, needs, and feelings without ignoring or hurting the opinions, needs, and feelings of others. So um, sometimes when I'm in therapy, I ask my patients, I say, who are you like? Are you like the shark? The shark just goes and bites everybody and takes whatever he takes and doesn't care about anybody else. Or I say, are you like the turtle, which sticks the head and then comes in, passive-aggressive? Or I say, are you like the teddy bear? The teddy bear is nice and smooth, but it's still a bear, right? And um, what happens in life is that we cannot be so aggressive that we hurt others, people's feelings, or even their, their personality, or even their, their own being. Um, we cannot be so passive that then we are the ones who end up on being hurt. We have to kind of have a balance. And so that's what being assertive is about. Um, sharing feelings, opinions, and experiences with others. Um, assertive behavior includes starting, changing, or ending conversations sharing feelings, opinions, and experiences with others, making requests and asking for favors, refusing others' requests if they are too demanding. Uh, sometimes we have difficulty with that one, especially at church. If um, we're constantly being asked to do something and they ask us again and they ask us again, sometimes we have difficulty saying no. And um, the reality is that God created a relationship with him is a priority, and then our family is our second priority, and then church and work and all the other stuff is our third priority. So sometimes we need to say no to certain things. I'm not saying don't participate in the church, don't volunteer in the church. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we have to have priorities and be assertive in the way we serve the Lord as well. Um, questioning rules or traditions that don't make sense or don't seem fair. Addressing problems or things that bother you. Being firm so that your rights are respected. Expressing positive emotions and expressing negative emotions. So how do I know when I'm dealing with a controlling person? Hints that I'm dealing with a controlling person. Um, I have to ask myself the question, do I often alter my own personality, plans, or views to fit theirs? And here the clue word is often, okay? If I alter my personality, plans, or views to fit someone else's agenda, maybe once, that's okay. But if I'm always doing that, if I'm constantly having to do that, maybe I'm dealing with a controlling person. Is this person constantly, constantly again, causing trouble between me and my family or friends? Uh, the case I was telling you about my friend, that was the case. This person was constantly causing trouble between me and my friends, between me and my family. And so that's when you decide, okay, this is not a healthy relationship for me. Is this person constantly moody and with constant anger outburst? Um, so here, again, 
clue word is constant, okay? Because remember, women can be moody in a certain time of the month, and men can be moody in a certain day of the month as well, um, if you had a stressful day or whatever. So don't say that the person is a controlling person because they had an anger burst or they're sad or they're moody. But if you're constantly, constantly dealing with this, it could be a way to manipulate. Do they have difficulty taking no for an answer? That's the type of people that are controlling. If you cannot say no to them, or they get mad, or you get manipulated, then you know you're dealing with a controlling person. Is this person often wanting to dictate what I do, think, or decide? That's a difficult one. Because I think none of, that, of us like to be told what to do, think, or decide, right? So we all know we're dealing with someone who's controlling if they're constantly telling us that, or trying to control us. If the controlling relationship evolves into emotional, sexual, and or physical abuse, it is time to get help, okay? So in here we're dealing with um, what we call domestic violence. And sometimes even if it is um, not a domestic relationship, if the relationship is over the boundaries of what is expected, then it's a good idea to either back out or get help. So the next thing that we have here, or you guys might have in your, in your um, I don't know how to call this right now, but your little handout, thank you, is um, Power and Control Wheel. You can find this, you can go on the internet and just put Power and Control Wheel and you'll find like five or six different wheels there with different um, parts of it. And um, this is typical for a marriage relationship or a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And basically these are controlling behaviors. Uh, blaming and denying is just uh, when the person is abusive, this person makes light of the abuse and say that you caused it or that you like it. Or they say that they love you after hurting you. And, and what I'm saying here is not that the person cannot apologize, but sometimes it's a way to manipulate into you forgiving them and they keep with the same behavior. So if they tell you they love you and they change and make you know, at least efforts to change, I guess that's not okay, but at least there is some hope. But if the person says, I love you, and then they go back to the same behavior, then that's manipulation. I don't know if some of you um, watch um, Sleeping with the Enemy. There is a scene on that movie where he hits her, abuses her physically, and then he kisses her and says, I love you, and then again, right again, goes back into hitting her. So that would be a case like that. Um, saying it's all your fault and that you deserve it. So that's called blaming and denying. Economic abuse is either taking all your money or forcing you to work. And when you work, you have to give him or her all the money that you made. Um, emotional abuse uh, has to do with yelling at you, calling you names, making you feel worthless, making you feel crazy, telling you you're stupid, embarrassing you in front of others, making you feel bad about yourself, so on and so forth, bad, utilizing bad words and so on. Isolation has to do with maybe not letting you go with your friends or not letting you see your family, um, just keeping you apart and away from everybody. And in extreme cases, actually, people have been locked in a certain place and not allowed to get out of there. Sexual abuse will have to do with um, you know, having your sexual past insulted, calling you bad sexual names, having bad things said about your body, being forced to do something sexual that you don't want, um, being forced to uh, have sex uh, without um, birth control or safe sex, uh, being forced into prostitution or pornography, and um, expecting you to spend all your time with him or her, telling you how to dress, um, 
calling you or paging you to keep track of you. Now with the cell phones, it's very common to just want to take the cell phone from the person and want to control everything that the person is doing, who they're calling, who they're speaking with, so on and so forth, and treating you like a servant. And uh, also utilizing threats like, um, I'm going to spread rumors, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to commit suicide, I'm going to hurt your friends, family, I'm going to take the children away from you, I'm going to kill you, um, threats with weapons, and so on and so forth. Um, so those are some of the types of power and control exercise in domestic violence relationships. And then there is another wheel, which is called the equality wheel. And this is hopefully something that would work for um, all of us in our relationships. Actually, when I was looking at the equality wheel, I think this works for every relationship that's not a non-controlling relationship, which is non-threatening behavior, talking and acting so that she, he feels safe and comfortable expressing herself and doing things. We all like that, right? We all like to feel comfortable as we're talking and expressing ourselves and doing things. Respect, listening to her or his concerns non-judgmentally, being emotionally affirming and understanding, and valuing opinions. Don't we all like that? that? I do. I don't know if there's someone in here that can say they don't like that. I like, I like to be listened to and appreciated and so on and so forth. Trust and support. Supporting his, her goals in life. Respecting his, her right to her own feelings, friends, activities, and opinions. Um, honesty and accountability, accepting responsibility for ourselves, acknowledging past use of violence, if we have used violence in the past, admitting being wrong, communicating openly and truthfully. Responsible parenting is sharing parental responsibilities, being a positive, not violent role model for the children. So let's remember, how did that kid get on the world? It didn't take one person to get that kid on the world, it took two. And those two need to be active participants in the education and the upbringing of those children. Shared responsibility is mutually agreeing on fair distribution of work, making family decisions together. Economic partnership, making money decisions together, making sure both partners benefit of finan from financial agreements. And negotiation and fairness is setting mutually satisfying resolution to conflict, accepting change, being willing to compromise. Okay, so. I'm almost done. How to, counteract, how to counteract this behavior? If the base of the controlling behavior is fear, loss of esteem or insecurity, lack of control or even a personality disorder, it would seem appropriate that the controlling person gets help to overcome these issues. Now let's see what the Bible tells us in regards to this. I was actually looking and looking and looking and I couldn't find something specific to how to deal with a controlling person. There was a, a story about um, a guy in the Bible, but I didn't want to you know, come and preach for an hour. So um, what I'm going to say is this. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. So if my need to control something is based on anxiety and on fear, the Bible is telling me not to be anxious about nothing, but bring everything unto the Lord with thanks and petition and thanksgiving and present my requests to God, right? So that is one of the solutions that God is giving us for not being controlling. Um, also, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in here I was thinking, oh yeah, he gave us a spirit of self-control, not control others. He wasn't control others. He didn't say go control others. He said control yourself. And so I think that's something that is really basic when we're dealing with controlling people. It's trying to establish 
why is this person controlling? And if the base is fear, the Bible talks about self-control and trying to help get that person to get help in regards to getting self-control. Because actually anxiety is that kind of lack of feeling in control. When I feel anxious, it's because I don't feel in control, right? But the Bible here says God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Then the Bible tells us in Genesis 1.27... So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are all created in the image of God. And so if I know that, there is no need for me to have low self-esteem. Think about that. If we are created in the image of God, I just need to love myself because God created me on his image. I'm a beautiful person. I'm a special person, right? And that will reduce my need to control others. Because maybe I want to control, some, control someone else because I think they're prettier than me. I think they're smarter than me. I think they have you know, more privileges than me. But I'm not focusing on what God has given me as he created me in his own image. So that's another one. And then I think this is the last one, yes. Uh, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2.8, Putting everything in subjection under his feet. And here he's referring to Jesus. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So if someone needs to be in control, that's Jesus. That's the Lord. No one else needs to be in control. When I think I'm controlling my life, believe me, I'm in serious trouble. (laughs) Um, When someone else is controlling me, I am in serious trouble. But when God is the one, Jesus is the one that's taking control of my life, then my life is in the right direction and I'm in the right path. So um, I hope that this is helpful to you and I appreciate your, uh, your listening and sitting and putting up with me for this period of time. Thank you. Thank you very much, and we'll move right into the questions. By chance, if you have a question that you've not written out or you would like to write it now and hold it up in the air, they'll be brought to me. Let's start with this first question. And again, if at some point you would like to interact verbally, if you'd like to speak or say something, just raise your hand without the card. We'll have someone bring by a microphone. The first question is for Erica. The question is, did you tell or discuss with your friend the reasons for your retrieving? Yes. Yes, I did. And as a matter of fact, another part that would come into this would be forgiveness. It's a totally different topic. But, um, you know, that was expressed that I did forgive her for whatever situation and, and things that have happened. So there's been some reconciliation, but I'm still not, the relationship has not been the same because of the control issues. Okay, thank you so much. Here's, here's another question as we move along here. All panel members, if you're ready to go here, how do you deal with the controlling person whose primary need is to have his emotional needs met? Here's the question again. How do you deal with a controlling person whose primary need is to have his emotional needs met? Krista, you ready? Yes. Yeah, that one. Um, well, I... I think relationships need to be interactive. So, you know, it can't be all one way. <laughs> it can't be all just meeting their needs. So we can do a little bit of that. But obviously, we can't have all our needs met by one person either. I mean, even in marital relationships, we still need outside friendships. And we need, you know, couple other couple relationships are very healthy. So um, I think that in that situation, we can meet a little bit of that. But then we probably need to be having even maybe 
an awareness of our own that we can't meet all those needs and a dialogue with that person about what some of the limitations will be and you know, what we're able to do and what we're probably not able to do. So if we're talking to them what we can or cannot do, do we go back to what Erica was saying? Do we set up boundaries? Do we, do we, are we more assertive, not aggressive, but assertive to say, I can't, I can't talk with you about that or I can't go there? What are some practical well, ways? I think we need to always do it in a loving manner because mm -hmm. um, they're probably not trying to be malicious or anything. They're just trying to have a need met. Um, but we also need to know our limits. Maybe if they're maybe calling constantly, maybe needing, you know, a lot of time on the phone, and maybe that's causing neglect to our family, or, you know, we need to consider again our priorities and what we're able to do, what we're not able to do. And so I think, you know, just being clear with them, but at the same time, we do need to not just cut them off, and we need to have a dialogue with them so that in fairness, they can be aware and maybe possibly make a change, you know, without knowing what they could improve on. You know, that's not very fair on our end either. So we want to be clear with them about what, what it is that we can do and what we can't so that they can work on that. Do we all believe this? Thank you. Do we all believe the truth that's been shared so far that a highly controlling person is someone who's trying to get a need met? Is that what you're suggesting? That might be a new concept. What, what do we mean by that? They're, that they're always trying to get a need met by that? I know you somewhat addressed that, Erica. How would you respond to that? They're, they're trying to get a need met by controlling me or controlling you? How would you respond to that? Yeah, I, I, I can briefly and then you can... Um, I think that is probably true, and I, I, I like us always coming back to the fact that Jesus is the one who meets our needs. I mean, we, and we do lose track of that sometimes, I think, because people are right in front of us, so it's a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. um, but we need to remember that he's the one who ultimately can meet them all, and not, not the people in front of us. But the people in front of us can be helpful. I mean, the Bible speaks of having wise counsel and people who we can go to, so it's not that, that's, that we shouldn't use that, but we need to remember God first, and then utilizing people around us too. Yes. Um, I, I think we all bring emotional needs into relationship mm -hmm. and some of us um, do that by controlling and some of us do that by distancing. <laughs> yes. And uh, both are ways that we're trying to manage the anxiety that relationships raise in us um, of, of wanting that deep connection that, that God has kind of designed us to have. And um, I think it's it's very difficult when somebody's coming at you with that, that kind of intensity of need um, to, to stay present with that person instead of running away. And when you can stay present with that person and really empathize with that deep um, emotional human need and not do it for them or run away because that can also really cause that person to still see you as the source of getting their needs met, but now you're running away from them. Yes. Um, but stay present and, and really empathize with them, but not take that upon yourself. That person can find uh, a way to really, you know, with you standing next to them, um, look to God uh, to get those needs met. Let's talk about the pursuer distancer for just a moment. That's what you're referring to. Say a couple. One tends to be the pursuer. I think you're saying, Vicki, mm -hmm. that person pursues it, and the other tends to respond with kind of withdrawing or going the other way. Is that a common experience for you as therapists, uh, for couples in particular? Yes. Okay. Which, it is. Which, which one of those uh, is more controlling? Or could there be one that's more controlling than the other? I think they're both controlling there. You know, either the person the person that's pursuing is trying to attempt control by doing that, and the person that's retrieving is controlling by doing that. So they both are, I think, equally controlling. Um, also, though, in, in what we were speaking uh, earlier about, uh, when someone has all these emotional needs they, ex they, they expect you to meet, communication is basic, because sometimes 
I might think that my spouse's or friend's emotional needs are some, you know, I might think, you know, maybe he needs sex, maybe he needs love, maybe he needs food, blah, 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 care, uh, but his needs, his list of needs might be different. So he might be saying, you're not meeting my, my, my emotional needs. And you may say, you know, what, what do you mean I'm not meeting them? Because in your mind, the emotional needs of your partner might be different from what his list of emotional needs may be. So communicating to that person and saying, hey, let's talk about this. You know, actually, my husband and I did an exercise once, and um, there is a book called The Five Love Languages. Very good book. I recommend it. And there was something on emotional needs in there. And we were amazed. We were just amazed at how many of those did we miss from each other. So it's good to do that with, with in your relationship and kind of check and, and see where, where do we stand at? Where are we at? Let's get real practical with that. What if we have a couple ones pursuing, ones distancing like we talked about, and they're in the middle of that? How do they stop? Do they just blow a whistle and say, oh, we're in the middle of this? Let's hug and let's just try to work this out now, which is almost impossible. <laughs> You know, their limping system is in overdrive. They're already frustrated with each other because they're not feeling the empathy that they would like. And I think you're suggesting that it's the lack of empathy or understanding that's driving this intensity that you refer to. So, I believe, Vicki, when you were referring to that. So what do, you, what do you suggest to a couple if they find their, themselves right in the middle of that? One's pursuing, you know, the other one shut the door and locked it, and the other one's drilling to get the door open, you know, and <laughs> kicking the door. No, not kicking the door. And some of them are laughing because they would be crying if they weren't laughing. But, you know, that kind of a thing. What, what do you tell people? What, what should they do? Dr. Fallon. I had a, <laughs> a, a, a very real case just yesterday where the, uh, in this situation, the gentleman was... Uh, the distancer, mm. and uh, he was humble enough to listen to his wife when she told him that he may have some issues as it relates to abandonment from his childhood. And in this case, he really pondered that because when he was 14, his mother left the house, mm. just took off. And um, baby, he didn't know, never heard from her for over 20 years. Wow. But... Um, he was humble enough to realize that his issue came from something that stemmed from his young or, or adolescence in this case. But what was unique in this situation is that uh, the usual pattern of distancer-pursuer, he was the distancer-withdrawer. Yes. He said his wife didn't pursue. I thought, well, that's unusual. But she instead would get sad mm. and emotional. And... Um, and he didn't want to hurt her anymore. So I guess I mentioned that to say that one may need to dig into where, why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. There's a reason for it. It could be issues of fear of conflict. It could be issues of, um, you know, a, a, for instance, uh, abandonment. He doesn't want to stay. He wants to run away. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is this controlling aspect in that. And... Um, it, a need for therapy in terms of working through and discovering. You know, they say that knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. If we know and can understand our own hurts, habits, and hang-ups, to use a phrase from Celebrate Recovery, if we're aware of what our hurts, habits, and hang-ups are, that's many times half the battle. Yes. The next battle is taking that knowledge and then acting on it in the midst of, for instance, when this gentleman wants to run away. Oh, I'm wanting to run away right now because I'm a f what happened when I was a kid and, and, and I need to stay here and, and 
engage with my wife and not run with her, not run away from her. And, and so once he's aware of that, then he has to make the choice using the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, this, this, God has not given me a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. you know, but of power and love and a self and, and strong mind or self-discipline, as Timothy says, as Erica quoted earlier, that can give him the power to stay in there and overcome yeah. that. But many times there may be therapy involved yeah. in, in discovering what those things are. What are those issues that are contributing to me doing the things that I'm doing? And maybe the person doesn't know it at the time. They, they're not aware of it. Actually, uh, people who are highly... Uh, highly energized with their limbic system that oftentimes we can go into overdrive with our emotion. It's like the person who puts his or her, but his fist through the door or the wall. Usually they'll say, I didn't know that I put my fist through the wall until it was in the wall and I was pulling it out. And so sometimes the limbic system, actually we have an anatomical response before we do a cognition, before we can recognize. So maybe right afterwards, sitting down and being... um, Highly self-esteemed in the sense of saying, why did that happen? Let me go back like you're saying, Marcial, and, and try to reflect on, why did I do that? For example, this boy at 14, when his mother abandoned him, he might have said to himself, I don't know, but he might have said, I'll never let anyone abandon me. So I'm abandoning everyone, including my wife. When we're married, I'll abandon her first. Then I won't, fear that. I won't feel that horrible, horrible feeling of my mother abandoning me. So it's maybe reflecting on afterwards as well. Anyone right, which, else? Which in the case of the question that you have, and if you have the spouse that's continually wanting to, it's all about me, 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 me. Yes. Do some digging and work and to say, where did that come from? Yes. You know, in this particular case, again, I asked the gentleman, I said, were you an only child, only child or an only son in a family all of girls? You know, I mean, mm. so that it, mm-hmm. because many times uh, being the favored one in our families of origin, if we're the favored one, you know, if you're the princess or the prince, mm-hmm. you know, in your home, you're going to grow up expecting that everybody's going to treat you that way. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, better look out because you're going to catch it from that person mm-hmm. when you don't treat them the way that they expect to be treated. And you're going to want to control and manipulate to get what you want yes. or to have that need met, to be, yes. to have that feeling like you did when you were growing up in your family. Yes. Now, we need to recognize that the di- difference between highly controlling people and wanting to individuate or be my own person. From very early on, when we entered this world, we were met to individualize, individualize and to become our own person. You know, finding Nemo, mine, mine, mine. You know, the idea is that early on, we structure our lives to try to work through our world because we have to be independent. But when we move to these aberrations, these stronger places that you so are well articulated, that that's when it's controlling others. And when we control others, we're actually putting a string of hold on ourselves. It's so divisive and so painfully uh, uh, hurtful. May I move to another question, unless anyone else want to follow up? One more yes. thing on that. Um, when you have the pursuer and retriever relationship too, I think it works not to do it at the moment, obviously, because one of you is pursuing, the other is retrieving, but afterwards, kind of come back to your partner and say, let's have a plan, because I don't like it, for example, when I retrieve and you're there knocking on the door and drilling you know, a hole through the, through the door. So let me explain to you why I feel this way. You know? And because I feel that way, I don't want you next time to go ahead and do the same. Let's come up with a plan. Let's figure out that if we're both too angry to talk to each other, then let's give some time to each other and then we'll come back to the issue a little later um, afterwards or you know, make a date for talking about the issue. 
And I think that is helpful to couples in being, you know, first of all, realizing who is who, who does the pursuing, who does the retrieving, or if they both do the retrieving, then it's important to see how communication can be established. Because you can imagine if they both retrieve or they both pursue, uh, we're in serious, serious trouble. So it's important to have a plan so that you don't keep on doing that dance. They call it the, the couples dance, you know. Pursue, pursue, pursuer and retriever. So that's important. So without this awareness that you were referring to, that there's a tendency, Marcelo, you were saying it, and now, Erica, you're saying, with, without awareness that what just happened, we will tend to repeat the cycle. And then it gets etched in stone almost. So you don't even have to think about it. You'll just automatically go to that place, and it gets worse and worse and worse. Okay, um, this is a, another question, if I may move to this, and that is, I, I grew up having to meet my parents' needs. Now my dad is stalking me because I'm setting boundaries. What do I do? I grew up having to meet my parents' needs. In other words, high-controlling parents, obviously, because they weren't nurturing, I'm, I'm assuming. Now my dad is stalking me because I'm setting boundaries. What do I do? I'd say keep sticking to your boundaries. Okay. You know, there's, there's, and hopefully eventually he'll get the message, but, you know, again, you know, you don't want to get a restraining order against your dad. That'd be, that wouldn't be the way to go. But it's, uh, if he's not respecting your boundaries, um, you know, it, I'd hate to say that it would, might come to that, but when you talk about stalking, it's like, well, you know, if he's not getting it, ooh, yeah. I mean, hopefully he'll eventually get the message. But you have to be assertive, and you know you could use the broken record technique, which is to repeat over and over again the same thing. Sometimes up to five times mm. you have to say this to the person, and maybe it'll get through. Just being assertive and holding to your boundaries repeatedly might help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, I mean, you got to remember that's an old habit that's there. I mean, all of childhood, 18 years, it's a really formative time in our lives that... We learn things, and if now you're learning to set the boundaries, which is great, maybe dad's not there yet, so you gotta keep setting it. And um, and he will, you know, especially if they're respectful, but they're clear and firm, He he's just trying to, to break those right now because he wants it to be back to how it was because that was comfortable for him, probably. So now, just holding to them, he will probably understand it after just more time. Excellent. Give this person, and it probably represents a lot of people, this, yeah, this right, illustration. Right, Give the person, that the person who starts to set these boundaries, you're going to feel like I'm really being aggressive towards, say, my dad. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference mm-hmm. between aggressiveness and assertiveness. Mm-hmm. Can, you ad- can you address that? Talk about that for a minute, because I think there's a temptation to go, I'm really being aggressive by sa- setting these boundaries because I'm feeling the aggression from my dad. Well, some of it, I mean, I don't know the specifics of the situation, but it might be a situation where he wants a call back immediately because he needs to talk or something, and maybe you're trying to do your job, and you can't call back immediately. So you might be clear with him that I'll give you a call back, but it may not be right away. It may have to be at the end of the day. You know, I'm working today, and I can't always call you back right away. And so you just don't call back right away every time. (laughs) So that's how he learns that that's the boundary, because you've set it, and then you actually follow through and do it meaning you don't call him back until 6 o'clock or maybe, you know, when you can. Um, and you might say, I'll call you back within the day or I'll call you back within 24 hours or, you know, you could say however you want to set the limit. But I think being clear so they know what to expect and even maybe in conversations if the, the other person is getting too um, 
you know, it just depends on kind of the type of communication that's going on on the phone or in, in the conversation it's becoming uncomfortable or really um, aggressive. You gave a good example of someone who like apologizes and then becomes kind of real aggressive at wanting something. You might have to say, if that, if that continues, I'm going to have to end the call because I can't continue having this kind of conversation with you. We can always touch base tomorrow. Maybe we'll, you know, be in a better place and be able to talk more clearly. So, you know, just kind of setting those kind of limits, but then doing it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, going ahead what, and following through. What if you set the limit and you start to say, well, um, if, you, if you continue the way you are, I'm going to have to end this conversation. And they hang up on you. What would you That's do the okay. next time you talk with them? What would you do? Because that happens I would, a lot. Yeah, I would probably accept that they accepted my boundary. Okay. Because <laughs> maybe they weren't able to change gears. And mm -hmm. so they went ahead and put the boundary in place with me. So great. They're following it. We would talk to them when they call the next time. Or if you were going to go ahead and maybe you call this person couple times a week and that's really normal, then the next time you were going to call them in a couple days, great. You just start the conversation anew. I mean, they're just, okay. they're following the boundary. That's wonderful. Okay. <laughs> it can feel a little bit uncomfortable, I think, because you know they're mad, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if that's the boundary and they obviously weren't able to honor it or they felt they couldn't change the conversation, then... So, so part of it is shifting. This is a really important, I think, concept you're saying. Part of it yeah. is shifting, I think, how you take on their, we call it pathology, you know, their woundedness, their anxiety, how, in, and I really like how you're saying that, is just uh, assume that's their issue, they've hung up, and move forward. Mm -hmm. And so that you don't take their sliming, you don't take their manipulation, or their high controlling. Well, because that's, and that kind of goes back to the relationship example, which we do need to have our own awareness of our own things, and then how it affects the other person. And yes. sometimes there's a, that's a new dynamic. They're hanging up because they want you to call them back and pursue, and I, you, you can kind of get caught up again in, in, in that dynamic. So you want to be just kind of aware of that, too, and that if they've ended, then maybe that's okay. They've just accepted the boundary, and that's all right. <laughs> so. Vicki, yes. Um, I think part of it is also making really little steps more mm -hmm. frequently and very yes. consistently. Um, if you know, meeting somebody like that, or your, your father or mother or a friend, and you allow yourself to go for hours with this person, by the time you're done, you're going to be drained, and you're going to need a, a couple of weeks before you go back to that person, and that cycle just continues. But if, you know, you take little, little steps and just do it more frequently and do it really consistently, it eases the anxiety on the other person's part about, you know, the connection between the two of you, but you're also really taking care of yourself and saying, you know, I don't have to be that intense to know that I love you and to know that I want to be in this relationship. Thank you. This is another important question that relates to relationships similar. Um, how do I deal with a controlling ex who uses our children to control and get their way? My children are inappropriately or inappropriately punished every time my ex does not get her way. In addition, based on what has transpired thus far, she may be a psychopathic borderline who has not received help that continue to, continues to affect our children. How do I guide my children? This is a very, very common, unfortunately, notice all the nods up here, a very common problem and a very good question, actually. How would you respond to that? Um, inappropriately punished is what sticks up for me right there. It's important to establish that there is no abuse going on. And if the relationship or the situation is abusive, it needs to be reported for the well-being of your children. So that's my two cents on that. Um, unfortunately, every time we talk about ex-relationships, there is some sense of control and wanting to control and wanting to use the children. So that is a really tough one. And I said you would need a lot of prayer, and hopefully God will guide you to the right sources. Okay. Okay. You know, I think in addition to that, there. Probably there's some uh, 
there possibly some legal action that needs to be brought into play in dealing with this in the court setting to make the court aware that this is happening because this is damaging to the children. And as, as uh, Erica said, this could be emotional or psychological abuse. And, and that uh, the court may then want to modify the, um, the visitation agreements and that kind of thing in order for that to happen and put limits on that person. And, and you know, God has set up the courts to help us to control ourselves when we're out of control. Mm. And then maybe that ex-spouse will respond to the judge's order to say, you, you know, if you do this, or order psychological treatment mm -hmm. for the, uh, the ex-spouse too. Okay. Yeah, and um, in addition, of course, safety issues, making sure everybody's safe. Um, mm -hmm. Then it's always tricky on these situations, but there is some level of having to make choices in your home, and there's only so much you can control in the other home, meaning not playing into that, not talking through the kids or having the kids tell their mom or what you know, not doing any of that and trying to just model in your home what you can. So again, if you've established the safety kinds of things, then just trying to manage what you can in your home. And I mean, we, ideally we try to have both parents on the same page with discipline, with rules in the home, even though they're living separately. But if that's not possible, which this situation sounds like one of those that is very hard, um, then we just try to really model that if you can do what you can at your home and again, when the kids come kind of, okay, well, we're back at our house and this is what we're doing and we're, you know, and then even if communications are one way with the other parents and I was just shooting them an email, okay, this is what we did, this is the plan. And even if you get a terrible email back, <laughs> trying not to respond, trying to just do what you can to keep it kind of separate. And, um, you know, and then again, if there's a safety issue, you can handle that, but. Okay, thank you. This next question is, my spouse uses passive control in our relationship. Secrets, not engaging. How do I deal with that in a positive way? My spouse uses passive control in our relationship, like secrets, not engaging. How do I deal with that in a positive way? <clears throat> I guess it goes back to, to, to needs, what we were talking earlier about, you know, that why is he doing that? Why, why, what is the reason that he is needing to use secrets or not engaging? And so it's important to open the lines of communication to your partner and, and try to find out, you know, if possible, what, what is it? You know, I know, I've noticed that, you know, you kept a secret. Not only, you, you don't say you keep a lot of secrets, that's too general. You might say, I noticed that you kept a secret by doing this behavior, uh, you know, I want to find out if you need help. How can I help you to overcome this issue? Um, you know, how can we seek help together to overcome this issue? So I think that that might be something that might be helpful. Okay. I think this next question ties into this. How do I communicate to one who on an ongoing basis dominates conversations, especially phone calls? This person is not accepting when others' issues are discussed with them. So how do I communicate to or with someone who ongoingly dominates conversations. That, that's a pretty common experience. What would be some tactic skills that you would put in place to respond to this? Well, I, I think it might be. I mean, it sounds, I thought I heard you say at the end that they've tried to talk to the person and they're not responding. Yeah, they're responding. not accepting, they're not that's responding. correct. I think you go back to some boundaries then. I mean, if they're not, if, again, if you've attempted to <laughs> communicate the need and they're not, um, willing to adjust and make some changes so that it's mutually 
um, agreeable in the relationship, then I think you might have to just set some boundaries that might be difficult. And I don't, you know, that's true of a family or a friend, a family member or a friend, and that can be tricky depending on what kind of a person this is in your life as far as a family member maybe or something like that, but you might have to set really strong limits. I think one creative way is move to email because <laughs> you can't dominate email and there has to be a back and forth. So yes. be creative and don't get stuck. Nice. That's nicely said. Um, this next question, I think, shifts it just a little bit. I'd like to know if a child who knows that he or she can get his, his or her way with a compassionate parent who struggles with boundary setting learns to be controlling or is it something innately part of his or her personality? So I'd like to know the child who knows that he or she can really, with a compassionate parent, get their way. Is that really innate, or is that something they've learned? How would you act if you were the child? Think about it. I mean, our human nature, just, we just by nature, I said at the beginning, like to control. We just by nature like to get our way. Yes. So I think that a child that knows that can get his way will get his way. Um, that's why God gave us parents so they could set boundaries for us. So sometimes that could be a little enabling. However, what is important is trying to find out, again, I'm always into the whys and how comes and how did we get there? Uh, because it's important to find out why am I being an enabling parent? You know, why am I allowing him to, you know, over, um, overstep boundaries? And maybe I am the one who needs to work on myself before I even start working on my children if that's the case. Mm, nice. Well, and that's really huge in single-parent homes, especially with mothers, uh, women, single head of households with children. Especially, I've seen it so many times with sons. It's like this mother feels guilty because he didn't have a father, and so she she just continually gives, 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 and he learns to manipulate, and so he's 45 years old and living with her still. Mm. I mean, that's case and well I don't want to kick him out because he didn't have a father come on at some point you got to set the boundaries you got to set the rules but you know they they've learned some of that and then once they learn it they write it to the hilt mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be the extreme example that mm -hmm. I gave but it happens a lot mm -hmm. yeah i mean children do this automatically as an infant crying out as a way of uh, manipulating or controlling. The sippy cup episodes, that's what I learned as a father, was one that was kind of amazing where the sippy cup went down and I bent over and picked it up and turned around to do something. It went back down on the floor again. We were in a big war there immediately and it was a manipulation game. They won and, uh, no, I'm just kidding, but they didn't. But here's, yes, here's a question that is, if I believe someone has a personality disorder, how do I get them checked? So what they're... <laughs> Now, some of you are patting the person next to you. Don't do that when a question like that is raised because it gives it away. But um, how do I get them checked? Of course, you're referring to in the DSM-4, you're referring to uh, access to that's a personality disorder that tends to be paramount and pervasive. But how, um, and that's a, that's a strong statement. I don't think you were thinking of your mate there. But if I believe someone has a personality disorder, how do I get them checked? What do you do? Tell us. Tell them to go to a therapist or someone who is trained in psychology so that they can assess them. You're not trained to assess them unless you have training in psychology or psychiatry or some kind of 
field to do that assessment. So if they feel like they want to call them uh, borderline personality disorder, they shouldn't do that, right? Is that what you're saying? No, they shouldn't do okay. that because I don't think that you have received the training unless you have gone through university <laughs> to do that. And sometimes even, I tell you honestly, sometimes even through with going through university, sometimes we kind of question ourselves if that's what's going on or not. So yes. it's important to refer them to professional help. And there are inventories that can uh, measure that if it's true, but you have to get the person to be willing to take the inventory, and that means going to a professional who's trained to administer and to read uh, the inventories on that. There's some excellent ones like the Minnesota Multiphasic uh, Multipersonal Inventories, did I say right? MMPI3 mm -hmm. is a good one. Uh, I have one in my office that I use, uh, the Millen Axis, uh, Millen 3, something or other, which will uh, tell us that if that's the case, if the person answers honestly. But those would be, uh, uh, take professionals to uh, administer them and interpret them for you. Okay, thank you. Would it be a fair statement, now we have really time for maybe one more question. Would it be a fair statement to say that oftentimes a person is not consciously aware that he or she is being controlling? If so, how can we help them to work on the problem? Would it be a fair statement to say that oftentimes a person is not consciously aware that he or she is being controlling? If so, how can we help them to work on the problem? Is that true? Do you think it's more unconscious? I don't know that it always is, but I think so, especially if you're just trying to get your needs met. I mean, if you're, and you're, not, you're doing it that way, but you don't realize how it's affecting the other person. We're, we kind of tend to be a little bit self-centered, I think, and we don't always think of how it's affecting someone else. You know, we, that takes a little extra awareness, a little extra insight. Um, so if we're just kind of focused on ourselves, and especially if you're, you know, some of the symptoms that um, Erica described as far as just, you know, we're anxious and we're fearful and maybe those are the things driving it, we're kind of a, really focused on that. We may not be totally aware of how we're affecting the other person. Okay. Any other thoughts about that? Thank you. We're just running a little bit of short time and... Um... Uh, this has been a delightful discussion. We have a few more, and I apologize. We did not get through all of the cards. Hopefully we can come back to some of these questions in, a, in an upcoming session that many times they relate to what we're talking about here tonight. We sure hope that uh, what has been shared and communicated may give you some new insights, ones in which that you can apply, perhaps in your relationship, to have much more healthy relationship. Again, probably every one of us has some type of controlling person in our sphere of influence or our lives. So we do hope that, prayerfully, we hope uh, that this has been a meaningful uh, session for you tonight. Would you join me in thanking our therapist for being here this evening? I'm privileged to work alongside all of these wonderful people and thank you again for, for sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience with us. I just want to mention to you before we have a word of prayer and you can see that on the screens that our next My Therapist Says is May 5th and that is overcoming emotional and relationship setbacks in life. So I hope that uh, you'll invite uh, your, your friends and loved ones to come join us. And again, these are on our website, skylinechurch.org. You can pull down both the PowerPoint as well as that will have, it includes the handout, of course, as well as the audio. So perhaps might be something useful to in the future. May we have a word of prayer and then we will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you never withdraw from us. You're always pursuing us. 
Now, maybe we move in a different direction that keeps us from receiving your grace or we're in the midst of sin that separates us from God. You're always pursuing us, the Holy Spirit. We, we are told in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf in groanings that words cannot even utter. So thank you that in your scripture, in your word, the living word of God, you said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. I am coming to you, but you never aggressively pursue us. You're always pursuing us in love, agape love, permitting us to have free will. And we thank you for that. Bless these good people. Thank you for these outstanding uh, therapists who are, really, we want to say these outstanding Christians who happen to be therapists. Thank you for them. Bless each and every person here and perhaps one who might be listening that what we have talked about would honor you because healthy relationship always honors you. You went to the cross to reconcile relationship. Thank you for that. We bless you. We honor you this evening, Father, and we give you praise. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, and uh, our therapist will be in the back if you'd like to greet them or meet them uh, as you leave this evening. Thank you.